Psalm 13. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemy say, I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. Among the many things I appreciate about the Bible, the fact that it is candid regarding the struggles of life have to be among the most beneficial. As you read of the men and women whom God chose to feature throughout the Scriptures, you are continually confronted with the reality that God does not conceal their humanity. I would submit that it is this very attribute that draws us into reading, meditating, hearing, and studying God's Word. The fact that God-fearing Christians of past years who were wonderfully used of God did not live every day of every week blissfully happy without any problems is an encouragement to us because it meets us where we are. It meets us in the midst of a world filled with the effects of sin and constant change where we battle with real weaknesses, temptations, fears, and failures. Among all the books in the Bible, we see such a transparency, none compared to the book of Psalms. And among all people, we see such transparency. There is none that compares to David. David's life is an open book. As we read of his dealings with others and God, we see him at his best and we see him at his worst. We read of his victories as we read of his defeats. We read of his faith and we read of his fears. We read of his passionate longings after God and his perpetual misery before God. And looking to Psalm 13 this morning, we note that when this psalm was penned, David is in the midst of a discouraging storm, a storm of bewilderment, a storm of anxieties and oppositions. And we read in verse 1 that David feels forgotten by God. He feels abandoned by God. He feels continually depressed and defeated. And feeling this way, he asked the Lord four times by those two words, How long? How long will I continue to feel forgotten by God? How long will I feel Deserted by God. How long will I attempt to find counsel and comfort for my soul to find myself more discouraged? How long will I feel defeated by my enemies? And if we have lived life for any length of time, we know that what David experienced when he penned this psalm is not uncommon from how we feel at times. There are times we find ourselves in the midst of discouraging storms that cause us to ask those two words, how long? And if we could insert our own experience in David's questioning, perhaps we might ask it this way. 
How long will I seek God until I experience His true peace? How long do I have to pray to see my prayers answered? How long until I am no longer defeated by these sins which so easily beset me? How long will I endure my spiritual drought and discouragements? And if we could take all of David's how long questions and boil them down to one main question, I think it would be safe to translate what he is feeling through this one question. Does God truly understand? Does God truly understand what I feel? Does He truly understand what I am going through? Have you been through the storms of life that have caused you to ask this question? The truth is, in one way or another, we all have and we all will And perhaps you are here this morning preoccupied with the question now, does God understand my pain? Does He understand my particular health problem? Does He understand my financial crisis, my relationship struggles, my mistreatments, my loneliness, my emptiness? Considering this question, I want to assure you that God does understand And we know that He understands first because He is God. This is our first main point. God understands because He is God. And while this may seem elementary and obvious, it is important that we begin with this foundational truth because everything else is built on this essential truth. God understands everything about us Because He is God, and as God, He is Creator, and as Creator, He is the one who has created us. The Bible tells us in Genesis 1 that God created man in His own image. The image of God created He Him. Male and female created He them. And miraculously, God formed Adam of the dust of the ground and breathed into His nostrils the breath of life, and He became a living soul. And casting Adam into a deep sleep, taking one of his ribs, the Lord created woman. The Lord brought about Eve, and God knew them, and He knew them personally. He fellowshiped with them. He provided for them. And when they disobeyed His commandment, attempting to hide from His presence, God knew what they had done. He knew the guilt that they were filled with and their inclination to shift the blame from themselves to others. So likewise, God knows us because we are fearfully and wonderfully made by Him. It was God who caused us to be conceived. It was God who allowed our heart to beat. And it is God who sustains us now, initiating every breath that we take. God knows everything about us. He knows our name. He knows what family we belong to. The Bible clarifies that God knows every hair that is upon our head and every hair that is not upon our head. He knows our weaknesses and strengths. He knows our inmost thoughts. He knows what we do and why we do them. He knows our fears. He knows each tear we shed. 
And David says in Psalm 139 that God knows our downsitting and our uprising, and He understands our thoughts afar off because He is in all places at all times observing all things. God knows us because He sees us. The Bible says all things are naked and open before the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Psalm 33, 13, The Lord looketh from heaven, and He beholdeth all the sons of men. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, and man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. God understands where we are in life and what we deal with because He is God. Number two, God understands because the Bible confirms that He understands. And under this point, I want us to recognize the interpersonal quality of God. God is not some cosmic being who creates, observes, and knows what takes place in our lives, who then steps back and lets man live as he desires with no intervention. No, God is the God who is involved in our lives. In Psalm 103, verse 14, the Bible says, For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. And this verse implies that God knows the weakness of our nature. He knows the frailties of our body and the folly of our souls. He knows how little we can bear and how inclined we are to sink under trials that come our way. And the suggestion of what is said here in Psalm 103, 14 is that God knows our feebleness and knowing our feebleness, He pities us. He's compassionate, gracious, and merciful to us. And looking at the biographies of those in Scripture, we can only confirm that what is said in Psalm 103 is true. We understood Reading Genesis, uh, Joseph's perplexities were seen by God. God understood Joseph's perplexity. And after being abandoned and falsely accused, we read more than once that the Lord was with him. God understood Israel while in Egypt. Because the Bible records that God saw their bitter lives under the bondage of Pharaoh and he heard their groaning. God understood Job's weakness when he lost everything. Not only because God allowed it, but because God upheld Job through all of his troubles. God understood Elijah's discouragement. For the Lord passed by and revealed himself through a still, small voice. God understood the need for courage, strength, and wisdom the apostles had as they were threatened not to preach in the name of the Lord. And in the Gospel accounts, we read that God understood the needs of lepers, the blind, the deaf, the paralyzed, and the sick, and graciously gave them the desired healing their heart's desire. So, if we are tempted to ask, does God understand, we can affirm that He does when we expose our hearts to the Word and read from Genesis to Revelation accounts of God's people who went through various trials, who experienced God's grace, showing us that God understands. And He not only understands, 
but comes to them in their time of need. God understands our difficulties because He is God. God understands our difficulties because the Bible confirms that He understands. And then number three, God understands because He experienced life in this sin-cursed world. And the greatest confirmation that we have in the Bible, affirming that God understands our struggles, is the astonishing doctrine of the Incarnation, which most churches focus in on on the month of December. The truth that God became a man and dwelt among us. And John says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus left the glories of heaven and came to dwell among men. Sinful men in a world filled with the curse of sin. And the author of Hebrews notes that we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now let's draw this out further if we're tempted to ask, does God understand? Does God understand the ruthless attacks from the devil that we deal with? Now, Jesus experienced these ruthless attacks. Matthew chapter 4. He was a man who endured the temptations of the evil one. Jesus knew what it was to be lonely. He was disbelieved by his own nation and doubted by his own family. He, he knew what it meant to be underappreciated. Does Jesus know what it's like to have financial problems? Well, He knew what it was like to be poor, to be without a home to His name. Did He know what it means to be physically tired? Well, Jesus served others in this world from morning till night. He knew what it felt like to be physically weary from the demands of life, and that's why we find Him sleeping on a boat. Jesus knew what it felt like to be frustrated by the continual attacks of the scribes and Pharisees. He knew what it felt like to be charged with doing wrong when he was only doing right. Jesus knew what it felt like to continually preach truth which led others to not understanding that truth and receiving it as truth. Jesus knew what it felt like to be betrayed by close friends. He knew what it felt like to go through great pain hanging on the cross. He knew what it felt like to be mocked. He experienced the worst sort of pain any man could experience. And he knew what it felt like to be abandoned by God. And Isaiah tells us that Jesus was a man of sorrows, a man acquainted with grief. And let me ask you, what other God can relate to man in such a way? Certainly not the non-existent God of atheism who is not there. No God can relate to man if he is not a God. Neither the God of self, the God of self who is fully depraved, cannot comfort and come to the one struggling with the issues of life. 
Muhammad is not an all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere-present God who is one with the Father and Spirit who can help. Zenu, the fictional God of the followers of Scientology, cannot relate to men in such a way. The sun, moon, and stars cannot feel as you feel and relate to your problems because they are created objects and not God. The only quality of God coming to men and relating to them can only be given to Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, the one who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He understands our distress because He is God, back to the first point, and He understands because He lived in the same fallen world that we do. And through His Spirit, He aids us. Now, while these three truths are certainly helpful to preach to our hearts, when we are struggling like David, asking how long and does God truly understand, if we are honest, we will confess that we still need more. We need more than just facts that fill our head. We need something to inflame our hearts. I do not want to discount the fact that we must know truth, especially truths about God, but Merely giving others intellectual truths about God, especially in times of trouble, can sometimes be like giving a man who has fallen into a deep, dark pit a description of what life is like outside of the pit. The man stuck inside of a deep, dark pit doesn't need a description of what life is like outside of the pit. He needs a ladder to escape. He needs something tangible that he can put into practice to experience the joys of life when he is dealing with the sorrows of life. And we have a ladder given to us by David in Psalm 13. Look back at the text. After asking how long, considering does God truly understand David notes in verses 5 through 6, three practical steps that will help assure us that God indeed does understand. He says, first, I have trusted in thy mercy. Second, my heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. And third, I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. And boiling it down for us in practical steps that we can apply to our life in times of ministry or misery, we need to do these three things. First, see, we need to exercise faith. When David says, I have trusted in thy mercy, he is telling us that he is exercising faith. And what is faith? Faith in its simplest definition is looking to God and God alone. And this is not looking to God with the physical eye, for no man can see God and live. But this is looking to God from the heart, with the eye of faith. Faith is seeing God through your present circumstances. Now, sometimes circumstances come and cloud our eyes from seeing God overall. But that's where faith comes into play. 
Faith is looking to God in the midst of the circumstances. Faith is seeing that God has ordained the circumstances for some divine purposes. And faith is seeing that we will not remain in the storm, but God will in due time bring us out of the storm. When David says, I have trusted in thy mercy, he is saying, God is not going to abandon me. God can keep me from falling. And even if I do fall, he is able to lift me up and help me. That's faith. And this is precisely what is brought out in Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. What does this mean, leaning on our own understanding? Well, this is where we often dwell. And it is where we find David in the first part of the psalm. I'm stuck in the misery. It will never go away. God is done with me. Defeat is my only option. And this pessimistic spirit is the leaning of our own understanding, and it's the opposite of faith. How long? Does God really care? I guess He's busy with others. I guess it is vain to pray. Vain to seek the Lord. How long? Leaning on our own understanding is where the devil wants to keep us. But faith is saying, like Job, listen to it. He knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Looking with the eye of faith is saying with Paul in Romans 8.28, All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His will. And all things mean all things. All things that we deem good and all things that we deem bad. Victories and defeat are working together behind the sovereign curtain of God for our spiritual good and God's glory. That's the eye of faith. Though I do not understand my current trials, God can use them far beyond what I can ever imagine. So the first practical thing we need to do when we overcome trouble is exercise faith. The second practical thing that we need to do when overcome by trouble is rejoice in our salvation. Do you see it? Verse 5. David says, my heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. Now, some commentators differ on whether or not the word salvation here is referring to the spiritual saving of the soul or physical deliverance that God is able to bring from David's present sorrows. But when I read such differing comments from commentaries, I'm inclined to agree and disagree with both sides by concluding that it means both. The Bible often alludes to two truths in one statement, especially in the Old Testament as Christians who follow Christ. And we should always be looking for the shadows, types, illustrations, and figures of Christ so that we will read His Word in a relational, 
spiritual way. So as we think of David here in Psalm 13, we cannot help but conclude that David knows that God is the God that has saved him from previous troubles and is able to save him from the hand of his enemies. But we also know that as a man, after God's own heart, that David knows that God is the author of his eternal salvation. God has shown himself kind to David by giving him the promise that the Messiah will come for him individually and atone for his sin. And though he is struggling now, he can find comfort with God as he thinks of God bringing peace to his heart through the Lord Jesus Christ. Comfort comes when we realize this world is not the end. There's a world to come. And as Christians, we are secure in the hands of God. And though we may meet with death, it only means that our faith will become sight. And so will we ever be with the Lord. He's rejoicing in the salvation that He has. And there's no greater help, no greater comfort, than realizing that God has saved us from the penalty of sin. So next time you're downcast, discouraged, anxious, wondering how long, does God understand? Take a moment of silence and to remember how God brought you unto Himself. Remember, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, and put your name in there, believeth on him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you see it's a turning from looking to circumstances to looking to God. And looking to God, realizing that God is the God of all grace, who in his mercy saved us from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and one day from the presence of sin. And do you see how it involves more than just the head? It involves the heart. Praising God for His mercy and grace and salvation. And finally, the third thing that we need to do when we are tempted to ask, does God truly understand, is remember God's blessings in the past. David says, verse 6, I will sing unto the Lord because... He had dealt bountifully with me. And here the two previous points flow into one. When we exercise faith in God and rejoice in God's salvation, it will naturally lead us to praise God for His bountiful care toward us. And remembering what God has done for us in the past will only enliven us in the future. It gives hope. God did not leave us to ourselves when we were in this condition before, and He will not leave us to ourselves while we are in the condition now. Remember your salvation, and then when you're tempted to think, I've never gone through anything like this before. Remember those dark times that you were in, and how God took your hand, encouraged you through them, and brought you to the other side. We sang of it this morning in the hymn, Amazing Grace. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Past 
In past years, in past days, there were many dangers, toils, and snares. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far to where I am now, but I'm struggling now as I was then. And grace will lead me home. Do you see it? It was God's grace who was with you before. It's God's grace that is with you now. He has not forsaken you. He's testing you. He's conforming you to the image of Christ. And it will be God's grace that will finally lead you home. And as we conclude, let me quote the words of Albert Barnes. He says, The psalm closes, therefore, with expressions of joy, thankfulness, triumph. Though it begins with depression and sadness, it ends with joy. And this is often observable in the Psalms. In the commencement, it often occurs that the mind is overwhelmed with sorrow and there is earnest pleading with God. Light under the influence of prayer breaks in gradually upon the soul. The clouds disperse. The darkness disappears. New views of the goodness and mercy of God are imparted. And assurance of His faith is brought to the soul. Confidence in His mercy springs up in the heart. And the psalm that began with sorrowful complaining ends with the language of praise and of joy. So too it is our experience. Afflicted, depressed, and sad, we go to God. Everything seems dark. We have no peace, no clear and cheerful views, no joy. And as we wait upon God, new views of His character, His mercy, His love break upon the mind. The clouds open, light beams upon us. Our souls take hold of the promises of God. And we who went to His throne sad and desponding rise from our devotions filled with praise and joy, submissive to the trials which made us so sad and rejoicing in the belief that all things will work together for our good. And finally, let me urge you with this final reflection. It is vital that we do not become controlled by our feelings. Our feelings are tangled in with our sinful nature. Our feelings are subject to change at a moment's notice. Our feelings can change depending on how we slept or didn't sleep. Our feelings are sometimes altered by pepperoni pizza. Or by somebody driving chaotic in front of us on the highway. And we can't allow our feelings to control us. Looking at the news, considering the world at large, and being pessimistic in our views of the world, we can't allow these feelings to keep us down. And this is where David is at at the beginning of the psalm. He is directed by his feelings. And looking to God, exercising faith, rejoicing in His salvation, and remembering God's blessing in the past, at the end of the psalm we find Him not as a man being directed by His feelings, but directing His feelings Godward. And God then directing His paths. How about you this morning? Are you struggling with the questions, how long does God truly understand Preach these truths to your heart and remember 
that there is a ladder of escape. Let's pray.